Good evening. My name is Emily Duffy, and on behalf of the Catholic Information Center, it's my pleasure to welcome you all here this evening. And I'm delighted to introduce our speaker tonight, Ms. Mary Claire Kendall, author of Oasis, Conversion Stories of Hollywood Legends. Ms. Kendall is a Washington-based writer and columnist on Hollywood. Her work has appeared in the Chicago Tribune, Forbes, Chicago Sun-Times, New York Daily News, New York Post, The Washington Times, Our Sunday Visitor, and Catholic New World. Please help me to welcome Mary Claire Kendall. Um, good evening. In this first book, um, Oasis book, I write about Legends of Film's Golden Age. And I teed up this book tour last week in Pinehurst, North Carolina, home of golf, teeming with Aussies after the, the Masters. And next Wednesday I'll be in LA, and it's an honor to be here tonight at the Catholic Information Center in Washington, D.C. Let me first thank Father Arnie Panula, the CIC director, for his, this gracious invitation. I knew Father Arnie when I was attending Wellesley College. It was at Wellesley. Don't hold that against me. For, but um, attending Wellesley College, not, not knowing Father Arnie. It was at Wellesley that I learned to write under the tutelage of Professor David Ferry, who famously translated Gilgamesh, Horace, and Virgil, his own writing exuding Horace's spare elegance and clarity, some of which he passed on to me. And while at Wellesley, I honed my literary skills. At Bay Ridge Residence in Boston, I learned to love God more under more under the tutelage of Father Arnie, Father Sal Farigal, and so many other wonderful priests of the prelature of Opus Dei, continuing to this day, to, uh, to who I am eternally indebted, literally. Then, too, in helping form my soul, they have, by extension, helped shape my writing. Let me also thank Mother Dolores Hart, who wrote the foreword. Some 50 years ago, she was being groomed to be the next Grace Kelly, but then she was wooed away by her prince, the King of Kings. I'm so grateful for her friendship and support. And why so many were integral to this book, including also Father C. John McClowski, Charles Scribner III, Fred Barnes, Ron Masick, Generals Thomas McInerney and Paul Vellily, the late A.C. Lyles, among many others, not, which, not least of which my publisher, Franciscan Media, it would not have gotten to square one without the unconditional love of my parents, Paul and Claire Kendall. Um, I got a little emotional. <laughs> they would have celebrated their 61st wedding anniversary this Friday, April 24th. It's the reason I chose April 22nd for this book signing. My father is here tonight, um, Paul Kendall, and but sadly not my mother, at least not in the flesh. A year ago, almost to this day, I told my mother I had de decided to dedicate my book to her grandmother, Lillian Webster Kane, who lived in Washington when it was just a sleepy southern town. Lillian raised my mother after her mother died when she was um, just six months old. That's my mother, two weeks before FDR was inaugurated. Lillian, whose mother died when she was just three, found solace in the Catholic faith of her stepmother. It lightened the burdens of life, she wrote in her diary. My dear mother, my best friend, excuse me, <laughs> died quite unexpectedly and tragically on the 49th anniversary of my great-grandmother's death last July 15th. And so my book is dedicated to my mother as well. Shortly before she died, as I was deep into the Lana Turner chapter, I asked her if she would have liked to have been a Hollywood star. She said yes. While she may have just been trying to connect with me, she was always connecting, letting me know she understood. Without question, she had star quality. And I'll show you a picture of her later. But she was beautiful and such a natural beauty. But I assured her, even if married life was not always a bowl, bowl of cherries, she was blessed for having eschewed being seduced by the possibilities her beauty and youth held out. 
Perhaps, yes, even heading to Hollywood, following in the footsteps of those she was often compared to, Donna Reed, Ingrid Bergman, and others. As glamorous as it all was, I assured her she had gotten the better deal. The truth is, the lives of the stars I write about in Oasis were difficult, exceedingly so, all the glamour and celebrity notwithstanding. But in the process of suffering the slings and arrows that only Hollywood can thrust stars' way with such precision and sting, God was forming them, priming them for the time when they would finally look up and ask for help. Because that's all really, all God really wants any of us to do. He loves us so, but stubbornly we want to do it all ourselves. Then comes the crisis. Most of the stars I write about experienced some kind of crisis that brought them face to face with their human weakness and a need for God. It's just that simple. In writing about these stars, I write their life stories, not just the crisis and denouement, because you can't begin to understand someone unless you know where they came from, what they achieved and how, what their weaknesses and strengths were, and how far they fell or merely drifted to understand the incredible journey and discover and how incredible their journey was in, dis in discovery of God. I look at these stars through the lens of their humanity to tell their story, the very beats and arc of which that show how they were transformed by faith. In so doing, I am attempting to transform your understanding of these legends, helping you to see them in a whole new light. As my friend Harry Flynn, who was publicist to many stars, including Bob Hope, said, Oasis shows the soul behind the billboard. It shows them like you and me, human beings after all, with an immortal soul. My book includes an all-star 12, Alfred Hitchcock, Gary Cooper, Bob Hope, Mary Astor, John Wayne, Anne Southern, Jane Wyman, Susan Hayward, Lana Turner, Betty Hutton, Ann Miller, and Patricia Neal. It was, of course, a privilege to write about these legends, gaining an appreciation for how much they endured in their climb to the top, because believe me, nothing was handed to them on a silver platter. Then came the celebrity and fame and what that does to a soul and the predictable problems with the Hollywood publicity machine often ginning up as much many headaches as headlines, the two sometimes one and the same. Although in film's golden age, as my friend Ewing Miles Brown, whose family built Paramount Studios, often says, if the bosses directed that it stay inside the studio gates, it did. I reveal some of what stayed inside those imposing gates ensconcing the dream factories. In my attempt to increase understanding of the stars we have grown to love and admire, as Ron Masick, who plays Sheriff Metzger on Murder, She Wrote, characterized it, my book tells inside stories about stars that the studios never revealed. I could not put it down, he said, and gained a new appreciation for them. But in the amazing way that God brings good out of evil, these problems, in fact, were what led the stars to him. And while it might seem like I'm talking about them as a whole, what is fascinating is how, in fact, their life trajectories pretty much ran a predictable, similar course pretty much like the dramas in which they starred, with all the standard elements, the setup, the plot point, complication, and resolution. It's the drama of life. As Hemingway wrote, every man's life ends the same way, and it's only the details of how he lived and how he died that disti distinguishes one man from another. The similar trajectory, as with a movie that ends in two hours, is in confronting our mortality. And each star, rather than despairing, as they realize their actual nothingness, found the healing salve of faith and sacramental grace. Ah, but the details are rich and varied. A few comments about each star. Alfred Hitchcock. He was born into a devoutly Catholic, if irreverent, family. The only one, he's the only one in my, the lineup of um, stars, he's a star as a, as a director, who did not undergo a religious conversion per se. 
Then, too, he only made cameos in his films. As he became the legendary director he was, he drifted somewhat from the faith of his childhood, only to return, poignantly so, in the sunset of his life when he reached out to a priest, Father Thomas James Sullivan, whom he met while um, directing the Paradine case in the mid-40s. Father Sullivan was priest of the stars and told a young friend, um, Father Mark Henninger, whom I interviewed for this book, he wants to come back home. Father Henninger joined him on these visits with the Master of Suspense. And uh, as he wrote in the Wall Street Journal, where his brother Dan Henninger is a columnist, the most remarkable sight was that after receiving communion, he silently cried, tears rolling down his huge cheeks. Gary Cooper, elegantly handsome man, most gorgeous actor on A.C. Lyle's Wall of Stars. And A.C. Lyle, I'll tell you about later, but he was um, Ronald Reagan's best friend, and um, he was very helpful um, to me in writing this book. Um, but all the traps in the spiritual combat were perfectly laid to trip Coop up. But through grace, he surmounted them in perfect Cooper fashion, and it was not a deathbed conversion. Um, no way, said his daughter Maria Cooper Janice. It was just eminently good timing, as with virtually every story in this book, because in fact he became ill about a year after his conversion. Like Hemingway, he liked to carry a crucifix. When he was very ill in the waning days of his life and talking with Hemingway's friend, A.E. Hotchner, he clung to his crucifix, asking Hotchner to tell Hemingway his conversion was the best thing I ever did. They had early had, earlier had a discussion where, you know, they were, he was speculating. It was like, oh, should I do it? Should I? But, you know, just, as, just on the edge of verge of um, dying, he realized um, it was really, it gave him a lot of strength to, to um, weather those final days. Bob Hope. So he was the entertainer to beat all entertainers. And it, when, ca when it came to the spiritual life, the drifter par excellence. In the end, he came face to face with his need for God. Like many in this book, it was a gradual process. During World War II, Cardinal Ther Theodore McCarrick, Archbishop Emeritus of Washington, told me that Bob became very close to Cardinal Francis Spellman and was amazed that the troops gave him bigger applause. That and the dedication of the troops got him thinking. Five decades later, he finally took the plunge. Mary Astor, and she's a lovely woman, um, as you know, watching her on sc screen, um, who had a difficult childhood, always, and she was always escaping. Her parents viewed her as a cash cow, and eventually began she began escaping with alcohol, only to be rescued by God. She had a special devotion to St. Teresa of Lisieux, who was pivotal in her conversion, and she was very devoted to the Eucharist, realizing how much strength she der derived from this beautiful sacrament. John Wayne, invincible, willful, loving, saintly. That's really what, he was actually quite saintly. When, and as I was reading about him, he just, he did many generous, um, magnanimous gestures that people don't really know about. Um, his was, which I, I, I weave into my chapter, his was a long, long journey to finding God, which played out dramatically till the very end. Actually, you know, I, I, should, I should correct that, because actually, um, he he was very reflective, and uh, but it was a long, long journey to finally making out, finally converting, and finally you know to taking um, partaking of the sacraments fully. And while this is true of everyone, his story is particularly dramatic. As he was nearing the end of his life after heart surgery in Boston, he was introduced to Saint Jose Maria Escriva de Balaguer, the founder of Opus Dei, through a, a pamphlet um, someone gave him, um, which for those who don't know what Opus means, it means work of God. Um, and the Saint Jose Maria was the saint of ordinary work. I find this anecdote absolutely amazing because if you boil down 
John Wayne at his core is a good-hearted hard worker. He's just a hard worker. Um, and Southern. She was the ultimate survivor. Watch her films and you get this about her. You know, she was in the Maisie series. She's not as well known. She, she was um, early on a pioneer in television. She was a, a comedian, best friends with Lucille Ball. Um, but And read her faith journey and you will understand what lies behind that gutsy exterior. A woman of character who found God and in so doing survived. Now Hollywood was teeming with Catholics in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Leo McCary, Frank Capra, Don Ford, Fred Zinnemann, and of course Hitch, Claudette Colbert, Clark Gable, Spencer Tracy, Rosalind Russell, Ethel Barrymore, and the list goes on. Um, which made it more likely that Anne would become a Catholic, as with so many in this book. It's, it's important to keep that context in mind as you read Oasis. Uh, and today's there's a similar phenomenon um, in Hollywood with a lot of Catholics and evangelical Christians, of course, as well. Um, Jane Wyman, a lot of active Catholics who are, you know, really see it as a source of strength because Hollywood is such a zany place. <laughs> Jane Wyman, hers was also a difficult childhood that bred in her a steely and quiet determination. She had lots of problems rooted in her childhood, and when she found the Catholic faith fairly early on, she was a changed woman and there was no turning back. Many people in Hollywood led her to the faith, including Loretta Young and her sister Sally Forrester, whom she attended Mass with. And she loved going to Our Lady of the Angels Monastery in the Hollywood Hills. It's a beautiful little place there. And her nanny was also an influence. And it's an amazing story how I found this out. I was traveling in San Francisco early January and just decided to, to stay. I was going to stay with my cousins, but when it had a flood, so I, that night I landed, I decided to stay at the Best Western to save some money like my parents always did. And the next morning... I found out that there, you know, there's a church right across the street, and then I introduced myself to this woman who was best friends with Jim Moulton, one of Dad's good friends, and then she said, talk to the priest, and I talked to the priest. He asked me who I was writing about, got to Jane Wyman. It was obvious he had something to tell me, and his aunt was the nanny to the Maureen and Michael Reagan right after the war, and finally Jane Wyman, since he went to Mass every day, and finally Jane Wyman said, what do you do every day? And that was just when their life was becoming complicated, and... So I have to believe, and they were very close, I have to believe that made an impact on Jane Wyman. So, um, Susan Hayward. Okay, she was a red-headed fireball with acting talent on par with Sarah Bernhardt. Born into poverty in Brooklyn, New York, like her idol, um, Barbara Stanwyck, she had an incredibly difficult child. You see a pattern here. Um, and sh um, she identified with Bernhardt, who lost a leg. A Hayward was terribly nearsighted, and then as a child running into the street to rescue her penny kite, she was hit by a car and disabled, ending up with a terrible limp because her, le her leg was not set properly. Her father, a fallen away Catholic who never lived up to his wife's dreams of success, was loving but weak and died young. After many difficult years personally, she finally found human and spiritual love when she met Floyd Eaton Chalkley, a Southern gentleman and devout Catholic who had worked at the FBI. He was a, a Washington person. Um, but she died much too young in her, in her mid-50s. Always, And she always kept this black onyx crucifix, which is a gift of um, John, Pope John XXIII, close by, um, including at the end of her life, like Coop. And she was just a gutsy, talented star. Um, Lana Turner, and she too had a difficult childhood, um, you know, the pattern is repeating itself. She became a Catholic at a young age on her own. She actually sought this out. And after she was discovered and beca became the sweater girl, she grew up much too fast, and the problems only compounded. She did not make great choices in the husband department, but was always looking for love and stability in men. Then one day later in life, she looked inward and found God. 
And she said one of the most, and this is one of the most insightful comments in all my research. She knew God was within her because all the joy and love had to come from somewhere. Beautiful. Um, Betty Hutton, um, known for Annie Gets Your Gun, um, for people, she wasn't, she's not, uh, her, her career all of a sudden fell off a cliff, so, but that was her, her big, um, her big, big um, film, and she, she was mega talented for those who, who know of her, and you'll learn of her in my book. And she, too, had an extremely difficult childhood, and she was fiercely determined to escape poverty by using her talent, and, sh and did she ever, in unique Hutton fashion. But the problems continued to multiply. She was always looking for the father she never had. He abandoned the family when she was two and then wired a suicide note with $100 when, he, she, when she was 18. As a priest who helped turn her life around, Father Peter McGuire said, you're just a hurt child. He tutored her, and she finished high school and later got an, her M.A. and taught at um, Salve Regina in um, Providence, Rhode Island. She also became a Catholic, not going anywhere without her rosary. She was so insecure, and her newfound faith gave her such confidence. She also overcame her addiction to prescription pills. Her story is just a real example for what ails so many today. And Ann Miller. She also had a difficult childhood and an incredible heart and, and took her mother, who was legally deaf, under her wing, supporting her starting when she was 11 or 12. You know that film, You Can't Take It With You? She was just 15. And God rewarded her. She was baptized just before she died by Father Pork Loftus, now Pastor Emeritus at St. Mel in Woodland Hills, California, where, where I'll be speaking a week from tonight. And then Patricia Neal. Now, she had a stable childhood. The book is bookended by stability. And like Hitch and Coop also had a stable childhood, childhoods. And everyone else in this book, she had incredible talent, but was always looking for love, robbed of her innocence at an early age when she trusted the wrong guy. Then she fell in love with Gary Cooper, who healed that scar, but it was not, of course, a proper relationship for which both suffered, including Cooper's family. But out of that suffering came a beautiful story of love, healing, and forgiveness. She became a Catholic shortly before she died and was buried at the Abbey of Regina Laudis, where her best friend, Mother Dolores, who wrote the foreword, and who people know her very well, lives in consecrated life. Read this story, and you'll be moved and inspired. Uh, read all these stories, and I think you'll come away enriched. A note about the reading process, which, of course, is quite different from the writing process, but the two are complementary. As Charles Scribner, Jr., whose uh, grandfather first signed up at Scott Fitzgerald, wrote, reading is a means of thinking with another person's mind. For learning purpose, there, purposes, there is no substitute. For one human mind meeting another on the page of a well-written book. I hope my book will help you stretch your minds and warm your hearts. And now I commend to you Oasis and would be delighted to answer your questions. In researching these Hollywood stars, were there names of any authors uh, came up, you know, the types of Catholic spiritual books that they might have been reading? Oh, yes. Um, well, let's see. Gary Cooper, I think, um, read Thomas Akempis. No, that, that was Mary Astor. But um, Gary Cooper, I forgot my book, but Gary Cooper, certainly the, um, Merton, I think, um, the, uh, that author. Mary Astor, Thomas Akempis, that was a very poignant story when she, because she became, she, you know, became, reli became religious, became a Catholic, and then slipped away, and then when she had such um, problems with alcohol, and went, I think it was at a sanitarium, and she, and somebody gave her this book, Thomas Akempis, what, what is the name of that book? Thank you. 
Yes, um, and that really just um, opened up her eyes again, and really. So, so yeah, no, no, absolutely. I'm try trying to think. Well, I didn't write about him in this book. Um, that would be for the next book, Spencer Tracy. But he, towards the end of his life, um, was um, Catherine Hepburn said he was reading all the the books, the Catholic great Catholic scholars of of his um, when he was in high school because he was thinking of becoming a priest. He was very boy. He really poured into those. He really studied it and really loved the faith. Although you know he was an actor and all the the, tra the all the temptations that came along. It sort of. Um, um, but not to get distracted there, but um, Spencer Tracy, who else? Let's see, Lana Turner, not so much, um, Susan Hayward, uh, let's see, um, Ann Miller. Ann Miller, actually, she went to um, Jerusalem, and she was, yeah, she was, I can't remember the exact books, but in her biography, you'll see um, that she was um, studying to become a Catholic. She fell in love with this man who, unfortunately, his, he, he was married, he was, and his wife was an alcoholic, and, um, and the, the thought was that the, he to get an annulment, and they never did. But um, so she really started to delve in. I'm sorry, I can't give you more um, more specific, but Thomas Akempis for sure, and Merton or two. Is John? I, I've been interested in John Wayne's conversion for a long time. It still seems controversial to me. Authors on both sides. I know one of his daughters, Alyssa. Um, Elis um, I don't know which one, but Alyssa. said he definitely didn't convert. And I, I don't know what what. Uh, what convinced you? Uh... Well, I think there's the testimony of his son Patrick. Um, if you you read it in my in my book, I um, I wanted to interview Patrick, but I, I didn't get. But actually, it's it's very it's it's there. It's very clear um, that his father. I think it was like a, a day before he, he died. He was just in a coma, and then when the priest, um, a, a, a Paulist priest, Father Curtis, I think was his name, um, call, they called and said he could see him. His, his, his he had talked to his wife, and then. Somehow, then the priest called. I think that, you know, there was stuff going on behind the scenes that I can't get answers to, but um, or nobody can really get answers to. But his son Patrick says that when the priest came, all of a sudden he perked up. He went to confession, <laughs> and then after that he kind of <laughs> and died shortly thereafter. So I don't know. As Patrick's story, I, th I I take Patrick's story um, over. Well, I don't. I haven't read Alicia's. Um, book um, because I, I because I subscribe to Patrick what Patrick had to say his testimony seems um, seems sol solid and I, if I'm assuming it's Alicia I don't know if it, I, I yeah. is it Aisha yeah I think I got her name wrong yeah with regard to Jane Wyman um, so was her conversion when you say it was early on was it was she still married to Ronald Reagan at the time what did you refer to about the children Oh right, no, no, they got divorced in 1948. Um, so, and, and so, so she wasn't married. But actually, she was married to um, I can't um, Myron. I, and it was a band leader. She was married to this gentleman, and it. So before she um, converted, she um, that that marriage. She she left, and that marriage was not. Um, I guess it wasn't about so she, she right, right. But she was married to some gentleman, and so they parted company. That um, and then so she um, basically um, then was a, a third degree, a th third order Dominican, and um, so she was very devoted to her religion and her career, and 
um, the arthritis um, um, foundation for charities because she had terrible arthritis. Um, and I think she did get married again to this band leader, but then, then it didn't last. And um, so that, but it was after, to answer your question, it was after Ronald Reagan and her um, divorce. But she had been married, actually. One thing I learned in my research is she had been married before getting married to Ronald Reagan. So, in point of fact, you know, in terms of the Catholic, um, you know, the, what makes a valid marriage and all that, um, in point of fact, <laughs> it, it, it puts that whole, it puts Ronald Reagan, that whole um, thing, into a different light. I was just thinking about how in Vertigo, um, Hitchcock has Jimmy Stewart go to the Mission Dolores in yeah. San Francisco, and then, of course, the climactic scene uh, takes place at another mission. Uh -huh. uh, is there any sort of a Catholic uh, um, message uh, in there or, or in any of his other films? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, somebody was mentioning to me the wrong man, too. The a priest is, is portrayed very... Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of Catholic themes. Um, I don't I, favorably or, uh, but uh, elevated, and, and so Catholic themes are elevated in Hitchcock films. Absolutely, absolutely. He, he had. So, I mean, his 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 upbringing was. It seems like he had a really um, warm, close knit family, and yeah, he was a good, stable life <laughs> upbringing. His mother's confession. Yes, yes, yes. He had to go to. Yeah, it's just. Um, so you can see why he was, you know, he was just the only thing he can make, do in life is make films. And you can see um, he's just very stable and just made films. And, you know, I mean, you can see why he drifted because he was so busy making films. And <laughs> um, his wife actually was Episcopalian. She had converted. And then she sort of, it, she, it didn't really stick with her. And so I think that obviously, um, you know, if your spouse is, not sharing, you know, but but actually he was very careful about. He's very um, made sure that the grandchildren went to church, and um, so, you know, I, I think he, you know, he tried to practice his faith as much as he could, but he had drifted, and so that's why he called Father Sullivan back and said, you know, time to, time to to come home. Uh, who would you be most surprised to hear about in your book? Um, let's see. I think Lana Turner. <laughs> I think, I mean, because she had eight husbands, and, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, and she really, um, finally, you know, she, really, she she was looking for love in all the wrong places, and um, finally, so, you know, and, uh, I mean, she was such a gorgeous, and, of course, it was very, it was very tragic. Um, one of, this guy who stalked her, <laughs> this guy, Donnie Stampanato, who was, um, Attached to this mafioso whose name I don't even mention in the book because I don't, I don't want, I don't want people to Google. <laughs> anyway, it's yeah, Mickey Cohen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but he was actually this guy, and then so he, there's the big you know scandal where um, he came. She the Academy Awards. He didn't. She didn't invite him. I mean, he would show up like, um, like she'd be transferring at, in Copenhagen, you know, from and she had him banished from London. He'd like show up on the next sitting next to her on the airplane. I mean, it was like really weird stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and, and she never, the problem is, is she never reached out. I mean, she, she really needed to, like, say something to somebody, and she just thought she could handle herself. So, but that's an amazing story where she finally, and then the, la the next two were, e were just, well, not as bad, but pretty bad. One, of, they, one made off, like, with $100,000 of her jewelry, and another guy was um, this young guy, and 
she went off on a tour of Vietnam with Bob Hope, and he came. She came back, and he had had all these parties in his house. I mean, it was really so. She obviously realized that she was doing something wrong. <laughs> so that's an amazing though turnabout. That and she was drinking, and um, because she was just. I mean, you know, she was just. She was the glamour queen, and wow. So if you think that is going to like set you on a good course, I mean, she had how many shoes did she have? Um, my. He's not here. Anyway, she had like 600 and some shoes or 700 and some shoes. So she was obviously like following the wrong, she was on the wrong path um, for spiritually because your soul is, you know, you're spiritual if you're filling with material stuff. And that it wasn't filling her up and, and she, people were using her. So that's an amazing story, I think. Um, Betty Hutton is an amazing story. I mean that, but people, maybe they don't because she took this dive. Let's see, who else would be surprising? Susan Hayward? M Mary Astor, I think, is very surprising because I don't think people realize. I mean, she was just such a demure, beautiful woman, realized that she had problems with alcohol. And, um, you know, she lived at the motion picture um, TV home for the last 15 years of her life, and you wouldn't think that for a big star. And she, it's just amazing, these women, like Betty Davis, who just, I mean, Mary Astor was gorgeous, and she just, her choice in men was just, Atrocious. <laughs> so um, I don't know. Uh, so that's a surprising story. Um, they're all surprising. I mean, let's see. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock. Of course, that that's been out a little bit. Uh, Bob Hope. Well, Gary Cooper. Uh, he did. I, it's amazing how he he turned around. It's not so surprising though. He it was just he was a good guy. And um, I think he was, well, he was, he said he was, had been terribly selfish, you know, so I mean, but, um, and realized he needed to change his life. Um, Bob Hope, um, let's see. HBO just recently did a two-part, very long series on Frank Sinatra. Oh. I'm wondering if she'll be able to make it. Well, no, it's an all-star 12, so I can only do so many, um, yay, yay, so many. But that's a good point, because in Chapter 1, I do talk about, um, other stars, and I do reference stars, you know, throughout the book. Um, but in terms of the focus, um, he's not one of he's not one that I give. But that's um, because what I did is also the criteria was, um, except for Hitchcock, was a conversion, and because you know Franciscan media, so it was the Catholic conversion to the to the Catholic faith, which of course is a beautiful faith, and um, so he was Catholic, I believe, right? Yeah, so he didn't fit the criteria, but that he would be. I mean, we'll just have to come up with a different <laughs> criteria next time. But you know, you can only write about second so many. Book. Yeah, yeah, definitely there'll be a second book. Yeah, so. No, um, well, actually, Lana Turner, and that's a surprise. That is a surprise. She she actually became a Catholic when she was nine. Yeah, yeah. So she was very. I mean, she was a real independent gal. Um, so. Jane Wyman was pretty young, um, but most of them, well, of course, Bob Hope was 93, but he was, he was still, uh, he was, uh, this is one thing in the Richard Zoglin book, Bob Hope, he claims that in his 90s he was kind of losing it, he wasn't really all there, but he was actually quite lucid, according to Father Benedict Grishel, who I interviewed, who's now sadly deceased, um, but a lot of them were late, like Patricia Neal. I mean, if I could in, in, um, imitate the accent of Mother Dolores, and she, she gave the rendition of uh, 
you know, Patricia Neal, when she started going to the Abbey of Regina Laudis in the early 80s after she had her stroke and then her husband ditched her. And, um, so she said, I want to be, she told Mother Dolores Hart, I want to be buried here. And so Mother Dolores said, that's fine, but you'll have to become a Catholic. And, and then she says in an in, in inimitable way, well, I'll, I'll have to work on that. <laughs> so she did. She worked on it for 25 years and then <laughs> shortly before she died. Roll doll. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it takes two to tango, but that was, yeah, so that was, you we'll just, you'll have to read my book. You'll, you'll, and then you'll understand perfect understanding or near perfect. <laughs> so, who else? Yes. With most of them were uh, convicts. Um, would you say that they were um, affected by other Catholics in terms of being able to come to the faith? Uh, how would they have, was there a common pattern there? Yes, and that's what I sort of alluded, alluded to. Um, yes, I mean, Hollywood in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, there were a, a lot of Catholics. I mean, it was just teeming with Catholics. Um, so, I mean, going my way, I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, Catholics had a lot of children, too. And they're going my way, and they made those Bells of St. Mary. Um, there was an audience, and there was, um, and I don't know, I mean, Clark Gate, I mean, all, just all these, a lot of these actors who were Catholic, who were big actors, um, we're there in Hollywood, and yes, I think that made an impact, I would think. Actually, somebody um, reached out to me to write a book, the star who um, has wanted to, about the Catholic, um, how, how Catholic Hollywood is, and, and so at that time, it was a quite a, quite a, a scene. And positive, they socialized together, it was a real positive thing. Um, Janet. How did you get to the Oh, yes, yes. Good question. Yes. Um, right. So um, in 2006, um, I was trying to figure out what I'd do next. <laughs> I was, what, what, I don't even remember what was before that, but it was something political, I'm sure. Um, and so my friend, it was the anniversary of my, the death of my friend who had Lou Gehrig's Tone Roberts, who lived in Georgetown, beautiful house. It was like the third anniversary, she, um, and um, she was, and I was watching this Robert Osborne interviewing Betty Hutton, and I was just blown away. <laughs> so I reached out to Betty Hutton right away, and she was very ill. She died a few months later, and then I wrote an article for our Sunday visitor about Betty Hutton, and then I pitched it to Newport Life magazine, and um, it was published two years later. So you're kind of getting the point. And it was like I couldn't really live on these articles. And um, early 2008, my mom said you know, you should really think about writing a book of profiles. And a week later, my friend Ellie Wetherspoon, I see back there, um, said the same thing. <laughs> it was Ronald Reagan's birthday, in fact, 2008. And then a bunch of things happened. <laughs> um, and then I was writing the Forbes column. Um, I was writing more articles, but the Forbes column especially, there was a lot of interest. These, I just kind of slipped them in, and they just, you know, really were very popular. Um, and then it's really funny because... 20 that I finished all the edits February 6th, 2015, seven years later, Ronald Reagan's birthday. And so um, let's see, there's there's more to the story, but I just I was doing screenwriting and I just I love I love this I love old Hollywood, classic Hollywood. I love that whole era. So well, it's, it, it's, I, I'm wondering if your book, if there's, if it, well, I, first off, if it's even happening at all, because uh, what 
Hollywood is today. I call it Holly Weird, um, and doesn't really seem to doesn't seem to really like Christianity in any form, whether it's Protestant, Catholic, oh. or Anglican. Um, are there any modern day people? Because um, it seems like these are all old timey. Oh episodes. yeah, absolutely. No, I just that's why I said this is my first Oasis book. I'll d there, and I'm I definitely um, somebody suggested I should do present day. Yeah, there are a lot of um, stars. Uh, Mark Wahlberg. Um, uh, Steve Baldwin, of course, he was Catholic. He, he went the ev evangelical path. Um, oh gosh, and there there are a bunch. Now the only th caveat is it's hard to get people to talk about their spiritual life if they're living. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, you you can talk to the that's true. <laughs> I know, I know. Thank you, Scott, for pointing out that obvious fact. <laughs> oh, though, actually, though, my. <laughs> Um, yeah, unless you believe <laughs> there's a very thin line. I kind of feel like yeah, people I've written about and some, some relatives have said, you really channeled my relative. That's really amazing. And I, you know, I was writing about Gary Cooper and then I started writing about um, Hemingway. And that was actually the first, that was the book I thought was going to be my first book to answer, to finish answering your question. And somebody said, no, you should do, this will be more, you know, this would be a good book to start with. Not more interesting, but just a good book to start with. And, um, so, yeah, um, and when, when I started writing about Hemingway, I just kind of felt like he was on my sh shoulder. It's like saying, okay, it's about time you give me some attention. I don't know. That's, I don't know. Did you get, you, I think the spiritual world, though, is very, I mean, the, the afterlife, I think people, um, you know, it's a very thin, they say it's a very thin membrane. So um, I believe that, you know, there's forces. And, um, but no, I haven't interviewed any of my subjects. <laughs> After after they they leave um, us, um, yeah. So let's see. Um, okay. Any more questions? Yes. 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 I absolutely. I, I want to do a, um, another Oasis book with Mother Dolores Hart. Will be in there. She's. She said, I'm going to hold you to that. Spencer Tracy, um, um, Alec Guinness, um, and then I hope to do some current um, celebrities. I mean, of course, if I could get like a, you know, there's certain, I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, certain that are sort of going through a process, that would be pretty cool. Um, um, yeah, it would the same, well, how faith transform is transformative, and um, yeah, and because um, it's very, you know, it's just it's a, it's a it's everybody goes through this uh, life trajectory, and I think eventually you know you you discover you have to it's like the Hemingway coat you come you come you confront your mortality, and so it's a very and I think what we're going through I know I was going to say what we're going through politically I know this is we're sort of in a little bubble here tonight I mean you know Iran is you know we have all these all these things but I think faith is such a important it's it's rising up as such an important thing because my goodness we feel helpless. Um, we really, people are more and more realizing, you know, we need God's help. Um, boy, do we need God's help. <laughs> Please join me in thanking Ms. Kendall. Thank you. Thank you.